<laughs> that is one big pile of shit. Uh, this could be it. We may be in some multiverse where I don't even exist. Don't knock rationalization. Where would we be without it? Yes, yes. Yes, without the use. To take them, take them out, take them down. Do your, do your stuff. Life uh, finds a way. Hello and welcome to episode 25 of The Complete Works, a deep dive into the career and films of actor Jeff Goldblum. My name is Mike Smith and joining me on this journey into the wondrous world of Goldblum is my friend, co-host and fellow Goldblum maniac, Mike Tricio. How you doing today, Mike? Uh, I'm doing great. Um, coming to you live from the field uh, this this episode. Right. On the road. Yeah. Yeah. You are in uh, not not just the road. You're in the Rhode Island uh, this. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> this week. <laughs> yeah. Two of my uh, friends got married over the weekend. Uh, so congrats to uh, Kelsey and Jess. And they did a tiny little ceremony here at the house where it was just the immediate family, best man and uh, the maid of honor. So there was only, I think, 10 of us total, like counting the person that was taking pictures who didn't even stay like for the meal because <laughs> we had everyone. Everyone had to be tested that was going to be staying here. So we didn't have to worry about masks and everything. Uh, right. So everyone came back negative, except for that person who didn't get tested because. She was here for like five minutes taking pictures, you know, or a half hour or whatever and left. Uh, right. But yeah, so we did that and uh, and uh, we had a big barbecue and stuff. And then uh, my few friends went on a little honeymoon to a family cabin they have upstate New York. And I'm here at their house to uh, cat sit and house sit. So I'm coming to you live from the Rhode Island, as Mike said. Nice. Yeah. And you are taking like the full week off of work. So you're going to be chilling at the house, basically just playing video games and watching movies like nonstop through the week, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'd be basically doing the same thing I do at home, except somewhere else. And for longer, because <laughs> at home <laughs> I have to uh, have the pretense of working. Uh, but here sure. I figured, you know what? I was going to work from here. Cause like, you know, we're everyone's remote. I definitely could have, but I realized like, I'm not going to get more vacation time next year just cause I legally wasn't allowed to use any this year. Cause of quarantine. So fuck yeah. that. I just took off this week. Uh, so <laughs> now I can just play Call of Duty and watch movies all day. It's going to be great. That sounds like a pretty amazing week. So excited for you to be joining us live from Rhode Island, Mike. Uh, hopefully the acoustics work out. We will we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, literally, as soon as I push record on uh, Audacity, someone started a lawnmower nearby. So I'm sorry yeah. if you can hear that. Uh, we'll see what happens, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, instead of talking about lawnmowers, which I'm sure we could do for uh, a very long time, uh, was, by, by the way, the next Mike makes Mike watch is the lawnmower man. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna be we're gonna be talking about uh, a Robert Altman movie today, uh, and we've mentioned this story many times in the podcast. Uh, but it has been a while. Back in the early '70s, uh, director Robert Altman discovered Jeff Goldblum while Goldblum was performing in a play, which was called. Do you remember what it was called, Mike? Uh, something Pepsi Cola. No, I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're halfway there. El, El Grande de Coca Cola was the ah, name of damn. the show, which, uh, again, great title for a show. I have no idea what it's about. I just know that it's uh, Coca Cola is in the name for whatever reason. Yeah. Uh, and of course, Allman liked the actor so much, he immediately cast him in two of his upcoming pictures, California Split and Nashville, which we have already talked about on this podcast. Now, during the 70s, Altman made a lot of movies. I mean, he worked fast, worked well with actors. He frequently garnered critical acclaim doing a number of projects that are today either considered classics or at least cult classics like MASH, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, uh, Brewster McCloud, The Long Goodbye, uh, Thieves Like Us and Three Women, to name a few. But then in 1980, Robert Altman directed a live action adaptation of Popeye starring Robin Williams 
and Shelley Duvall, a movie which today has gotten like kind of a reappraisal from many critics and is often seen as one of Altman's best at the time. Not very well received, was considered a huge box office disappointment, even though it made back double its budget. That's Hollywood for you, I guess. Mike, you say, wow. Have you seen the Robert Altman Popeye out of curiosity? Um, I I have or I have, have at least seen parts of it. Uh, it might be one of those like, you know, seeing the cable edit things like I've talked about before, like with the fly we mentioned last week. Uh, but I didn't know that that was an Altman movie, which is pretty funny. That's why I said, wow. Yeah, that was actually that was the first Altman movie I ever saw, kind of for the same reason. I think I saw it on cable one time when I was a kid. And I don't really remember that much of it other than Robin Williams was really good as Popeye. Uh, like yeah. he had like the the mannerisms down really well. Uh, so that is a movie I would like to rewatch at some point. But it's one that like Drew McWeeny and Scott Weinberg on the 80s all over back when that was a podcast. They used to talk about it all the time. It's like a formative movie for them and all this stuff. So I, I've seen a lot of like reappraisal of that movie in recent years. But at the time, Popeye really big whiff for Alvin's career. And as a result, uh, he had a rough patch in the 80s. Uh, he would still work a lot and would sometimes do pretty well received projects like uh, Come Back to the Five and Dine. Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean is uh, one that uh, is kind of well liked. But uh, he was doing a lot of TV stuff then. And uh, the movies he did make were often very quick adaptations of plays that he saw that he liked. <laughs> and now he would make a comeback in the 90s, starting with The Player, which is the point where I think he really became recognized as one of the great directors of the new Hollywood era. But uh, in the 80s. It was tougher. And the thing that really helped him out, though, was his relationship with actors who typically liked his off the cuff, naturalistic, improv heavy approach. And it's why many actors who show up in an Altman movie often show up in like four or five Altman movies. (laughs) And uh, years after discovering Goldblum in the 70s, they reunited for a movie that Altman made while he was living in Paris in 1987. It's time to talk about Beyond Therapy. That is sick. So sick! You ought to be in therapy. I am in therapy. Doesn't seem to have worked. I've never liked transvestites. I mean, I... Let's examine mental illness, shall we? I hate therapy! But you wanted it, darling. How could I... I have wanted it when one of our topics is I don't know what I want. She needs help. You know, as I as I said in my letter, I've never answered one of these ads before. Me neither. I mean, I haven't uh, put one in. Yeah, but this time I figured, why not? Right. Say <laughs> <C'est> la guerre. <laughs> it's uh, difficult to explain it when you do, but what I began by saying was that I'm not happy. He should be committed. Is this the degenerate you told me about? What you tell you about? <laughs> I know a woman who has sex every day of her life with a perfect stranger. That is the beginning of mental health. She's a shrink. It's a common belief that it's wrong for therapists and patients to have sex together. Not in California. But we're not in California. We could move there. He's a shrink, too. As for this young gentleman... Toys, dolls, were you allowed dolls? Yes. He's a confirmed bachelor. It's nuclear weapons I wasn't allowed to play with. Very oh, confirmed. It's quite attractive. Yes, they're all a bit confused. There's only one hope, one cure for their extreme mental disorder. Maybe I'll kill myself. A meaningful relationship. And of course, that's beyond therapy. The ultimate treatment for incurable romantics. Will you marry me? Yes. Julie Haggerty. I've got a throw Jeff Goldblum. I'm deeply emotional. Glenda Jackson. Twice day. Tom Cotty. Was I no good at And Christopher Guest. I broke a vase. I suppose it took his time. Yes? <laughs> Made to make you laugh like mad. People wanting sex to take a long time is sick. 
Beyond Therapy, a film by Robert Altman. Now, Beyond Therapy was based on a play by Christopher Durang, who also wrote a draft for the screenplay for this movie, which Altman then proceeded to basically rewrite entirely (laughs) and (laughs) allow the actors to riff all over like he does with all of his projects. Uh, No one told that to Christopher Durang, though, who called the movie a very unhappy experience and outcome uh, as well. The original playwright, not pleased with uh, with this movie. Uh, But at this point, no one's riding higher than Jeff Goldblum right now. I mean, he broke out as part of an ensemble with a big chill a few years earlier, appeared as the lead in a few things here and there, but just had the biggest hit of his career with the fly uh so reuniting with the guy who gave him his start and taking the lead role this time had to have been enticing even if altman's work during this period maybe wasn't considered his best and that's how we get to beyond therapy which is a movie that's set in new york city even though it was filmed in paris where altman is living at the time uh which is why most of the movie takes place in a french restaurant because a lot of the extras were french That tracks. <laughs> what a, yeah, a solid workaround for that. Uh, so Jeff Goldblum plays Bruce, a bisexual man in a relationship with a man named Bob, who is currently pursuing a woman named Prudence. Uh, Prudence is played by Julie Haggerty from Airplane. Uh, hilarious in that movie. She's also in What About Bob? And she was recently in a Marriage Story where she only has like one or two scenes, but she's really great in that movie, too. Uh, and Bob is played by Christopher Guest uh, just a few years after this is Spinal Tap. And uh, here's a throwback Goldblum reunion. Do you remember the movie? that Christopher Guest was in, Mike? Death Wish. Yes, it was. Uh, Christopher Guest was the police officer at the end of Death Wish. I was wondering if you would remember that. So good job, Mike. You get you get points. I don't know if we have a point system on this podcast, but if we start one now, we can work it out later. <laughs> so <laughs> remind me, remind me to reward you points at some point. Uh, OK, thank you. <laughs> Bruce and Prudence are both seeing therapists throughout the movie, too. Uh, Bruce's therapist, Charlotte, is played by Glenda Jackson, a two time Oscar winner who appeared in Sunday, Bloody Sunday and later went on to a political career in Britain. Uh, Prudence's therapist, uh, Stuart, who she had a brief affair with is played by Tom Conti of Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence and Ruben Ruben. And finally, French actress Genevieve Page plays Zizi, Bob's mother. Uh, she's probably best known as the woman who runs the brothel in Belle de Jour. Really great, you know, French uh, Louis Bonnel movie from the 60s, uh, which I saw last year. It's one of the best movies I, saw, I watched wow. for the first time in 2019, actually. So recommend Belle de Jour. It's really great. Now, Beyond Therapy was based on Christopher Durang's play and written and directed by Robert Altman two years after his previous film, the well-received Fool for Love starring Sam Shepard. And uh, just a few months before his next movie, O.C. and Stiggs, which was a raunchy teen comedy that was actually shot in 1983, but shelved by MGM for a few years because it was terrible. Uh, and then <laughs> and then finally given a limited theatrical release in 1987, a few months later. So Beyond Therapy bombed the box office uh, as as you might have expected uh, it grossed about seven hundred and ninety thousand dollars total uh so less than a million bucks opened wow. at 14th place of the box office uh when it was first released although it was to be fair in limited release that first weekend uh so i think it like just opened up in new york or something like that uh so if you weren't seeing it which was likely uh, you may have been seeing number one with a bullet, which was a detective movie starring Robert Carradine and Billy D. Williams. Sounds great. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yep. You could have also been seeing the latest uh, John Hughes teen movie. Some kind of wonderful was released that weekend, which uh, I actually watched that for the first time last year, too. That's a pretty good movie. Or you could have been wow. seeing the movie that opened number one at the box office that weekend. Mike, a nightmare on Elm Street three dream warrior. <laughs> 
<laughs> Fuck yes. Yes, that movie fucking rules. We saw that at the uh, the Hudson <laughs> Horror Show a couple of years back uh, with the movie marathon uh, at the South Hills Mall in Poughkeepsie. Great times. Uh, also in the mix uh, during the top 10 that week were uh, Platoon, which was about to win the Oscar for Best Picture, uh, Mannequin, Hoosiers, Over the Top with Sylvester Stallone, and it is 23rd week of release. The second highest grossing movie of 1986. Mike, can you guess what movie it is? Uh, Back to the Future. Uh, no, that was 1985. Second, second oh. highest grossing movie of 86. You will never guess it. It's no, it's, I'm not going to get it. Uh, the original Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> <laughs> that was in theaters for 26 weeks. Is that what you just yeah. said? It was its 23rd week of release during this weekend. Who knows how much longer it was in theaters for, but it was the second what? highest grossing movie of 86, just beaten narrowly, narrowly beaten out by Top Gun. Top Gun was the highest grossing movie that year, which made $176 million domestically. Crocodile Dundee made 174. Crocodile Dundee <laughs> was within spitting distance of being the highest grossing movie of that year, which is insane. Jesus. Uh, so, yeah. And I mean, I'm just saying the year 2020, we're finally getting a sequel to Top Gun. I know there were a couple of Crocodile Dundee sequels, but I think the time is ripe for Crocodile Dundee Maverick or whatever it is to finally <laughs> to finally grace the big screen once again, once theaters actually reopen. Uh, but yeah, so there you go. So Crocodile Dun, I, I just think it's so weird that that movie was like such a huge hit when it came out. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, That's I think bizarre. it did kickstart. Yeah, it, I think it did kickstart like a wave of like interest in Australia, uh, like culture in the U.S. for like a couple of yeah. years. And then it kind of died out by the time it gets like Crocodile Dundee three or whatever it was, <laughs> uh, which I think is the one where he goes to Hollywood. Maybe I, I actually never saw any of the Crocodile Dundee movies. Uh, I, I remember like <laughs> I think I remember when the third one was either coming out or was hitting video and I saw like commercials for it when I was a kid and I thought it looked great. Like I, I was like, man, this looks awesome. Uh, Crocodile Dundee three in Los Angeles or whatever. Uh, and then my dad was like, well, you should watch the first one. And then I never saw any of them. So, <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> your dad saved the day, really. Actually, I don't yeah. know. I don't think I, I don't think I've seen the first one in the theatrical cut either. That's definitely got okay. big TNT vibes, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the IMDb plot synopsis for Beyond Therapy reads. Actually, we're not even going to talk about Beyond Therapy anymore. Let's just talk about Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be more fun, honestly. I think it would be a better podcast, uh, but the, the IMDb for Beyond Therapy reads a few unusual characters and their unconventional therapists cross paths, resulting in hilarious interactions. That's 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 all it can too. say. That's all it can say for the plot synopsis for the movie, because there's not there's nothing that happens in Beyond Therapy. It's not a movie <laughs> that has like much of a plot, really, which isn't no. like unusual for a Robert Altman movie, I guess. But it feels more like you feel a running time more with nothing happening in this one, I guess. Um, yeah. Uh, so, Mike, we I, I saw on Letterboxd that we both rated this movie this, the exact same score. Uh, oh, really? So, <laughs> yes, we did. Uh, so I think I already know. But what are your overall thoughts on Beyond Therapy? Um, so Beyond Therapy, I mean, I, I knew this was going to be a uh, like tough, tough watch, because like uh, when you do a little searching for it, it's hard to find. And uh, when you go about it through alternative means, it's even then I couldn't find a version of it. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> like somebody was seeding it, but it kept like not downloading because it wasn't enough. What Like it just wasn't really torrentable uh, or, yeah. or allegedly. So I had to uh, <laughs> rent it on Amazon. Uh, which is never a great sign when it's not available to find through alternative means. And then when I have yeah. to rent it on Amazon and there's only an SD option, it's like, okay, here we go. <laughs> um, 
what a uh, obscure find this is going to be. And I know there was a no, oh, you, you watched it on the Pluto TV app or something, but that has commercials, yes. right? Yeah, that's a, uh, you know, the reason I actually tried to rent it through Amazon and couldn't find it there. Uh, I, I went through my, what? my Amazon Fire TV and I searched Beyond Therapy and uh, I couldn't find any like a rental option. So it, it redirected me to the Pluto TV app, which is the only place that it has it streaming uh, currently. Wow. So, yeah. So I watched it through Pluto TV, which is an app that I didn't know about. Um, but just a heads up for anybody who doesn't have Pluto TV, it's basically just like free cable uh, where it's just, you know, you'll have like different channels that it's it's kind of like satellite radio, I guess. But it has ads uh, and okay. stuff. So, but like there's like dedicated channels to certain things and shows. There's an entire channel that's just dedicated to Mystery Science Theater 3000. <laughs> Amazing, which Incredible. which I discovered in the process of finding Beyond Therapy. So if there's one good thing that I can say for me watching Beyond Therapy is that I discovered the channel that just shows Mystery Science Theater 3000 <laughs> as a result of it. Incredible. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so I, I uh, booted it up. I started to watch it this morning. And, uh, you know, within the first 15 minutes, I was mentally checked out because uh, <laughs> like it has a fun it has a fun setup. It's like, you know, at the very beginning, it's uh, this woman coming out of the subway and she's like, you know, a mess and getting bumped into and dropping all the stuff and Goldblum's watching. And it's clearly like a blind date kind of setup. You, f- yeah. you figure out that it's like a personal ad response kind of thing to meet at this restaurant uh, to go on this date. And uh, within, I think, like I said, the first 15, 20 minutes, uh, that character says, like, oh, I hate gay people because the waiter is gay. Um, And I was like, I don't I'm done. I don't really give a fuck about this movie. Um, If that's going to be one, a joke that we're going to use. I understand it's 1987. I get it. Uh, But then also that's a a major plot point. That's a recurring major plot point that the whole plot revolves around uh, Goldblum's bisexuality and this uh, Prudence's uh, just like utter inability to recognize that as a real thing slash uh, the just ongoing homophobia throughout the entire sh- movie with everybody. Uh, I was like, I, this, what is the fucking point of this movie? I don't really care. It's not, it's not funny. And it's like the Altman charm isn't there. Like it was in California split, which was like one of my favorite discoveries we've had this year. Yeah. And just like that movie is hilarious. Part of the, part of that is probably Elliot Gould and uh, George Siegel together. It's just nothing, nothing. None of that's here in this movie. And it just feels like the longest hour and a half I've ever watched in my life. <laughs> Which is saying something because we had a lot of long hour and a halves with the Nicolas Cage podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but normally uh, yeah. at least those are crazy. This is just like drab right. people that I don't like talking for an hour and a half. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hundred percent with you. This is uh, this is one bad movie, Mike. Uh, this is, <laughs> like I kind of just had like an oof when I finished watching it, like, geez. Uh, and it's, yeah. you know, it is like, and I had basically checked out at the exact same moment you did where, I mean, up to that point, I wasn't really enjoying it that much, but I was like with it and like start, like wanted to see where they went with it. Uh, cause I think yeah. it is interesting that Jeff Goldblum's playing a bisexual character in the eighties and stuff like that's an interesting prospect uh but then as soon as like julie haggerty is like running through the restaurant and like it's she's like it's nothing against you it's just that i hate gay people <laughs> and she's yeah. like it's like shouting it and it's like she's the romantic lead of this movie <laughs> and it's <just> like <laughs> but and it's i don't think she's meant to be like an inherently unlikable character you know i i, I mean i guess yeah. maybe they all they all kind of are to some extent, but they're all supposed to be like, you know, it's just them kind of talking and stuff. And that's you're spending all of your time with these people. Like there's like a cast of like five people throughout the movie. Uh, and Julia Haggerty is your like Julia Haggerty and Jeff Goldblum are your two main characters. 
uh, and to yeah. lesser extent, Christopher Guest. Uh, so with those two, it's just like like Jeff Goldblum, I think, walks away mostly unscathed from this. I think he's actually like of all the performances, he's probably the best one in the movie. Yeah. But like Julie, Hag- Julie Haggerty, who I normally love, I thought was like like insufferable here. I thought she was yeah. like, terrible in this movie. And I think part of it is the writing, but part of it's just like the way that performance goes, where it's just it's so manic and over the top, you know, and it's like mm-hmm. she's like she's constantly like yelling and being anxious and like it's just ah man just such an unlikable character uh and a completely off-putting presence for the entire movie yeah yeah like it kind of it kind of plays like man isn't she so wacky that she hates gay people it's kind of right. like the attitude the movie takes, and I am not willing to forgive that, uh, even in a 1987 uh, movie, because especially, like I said, it's like a key plot recur- like recurring plot point about how she has to like overcome her bi and homophobia uh, with these characters. And like, when then Goldblum's like putting the teardrops in, and she's like, "Oh no, you look like you're crying. You're not a man now." And it's like, <laughs> what the fuck is going on? Like, I don't get what this movie's doing. Yeah. So Beyond Therapy, not great, you know. Yeah. And, you know, it is one of those things where, like, you know, like, obviously we're watching it through a 2020 lens and like it's possible that like parts of this movie may have seemed progressive for 1987. You know, when if you were in a theater in the 80s, because I remember like there's a story about a Seinfeld episode. Uh, you, know, you know, the episode of, the Se- of Seinfeld where the reporter thinks Jerry and George are gay uh, and they keep going like, not there's anything wrong with that. You know, that kind of like, yes, that whole, yeah. Yeah, and that that was a very famous bit on Seinfeld for a long time, right? And that episode at the time in like 1993 was hailed as like a landmark in the portrayal of gay issues on TV. It won a Glad Award for outstanding comedy episode. Like, <laughs> my God, the bar is so low, right? But that's that's the thing. If that same episode came out in 2020. Like Seinfeld would have been canceled immediately, you know, like, like right, Twitter, yeah. tw- Twitter would have like destroyed it. And, you know, like it would be an episode that was like pulled from streaming services and things mm-hmm. like that. Like if it came out today uh, and, you know, it was like it would have been seen as homophobic and things like that because like we've progressed in, in so many ways uh, and our portrayal of gay characters and situations have evolved. So on the one hand, I almost want to give Beyond Therapy a little bit of credit for trying I think there is stuff in Goldblum's portrayal of a bisexual man that is like pretty good. And like the way he like he views yeah. himself where he's like pretty comfortable in his own skin and things like that, like that works. Mm-hmm. But like so much of the movie is characters reacting to it in such an like like a horrible way. And, you know, there's it like so much of it feels like maybe you should have known in 1987 even that this was like not the best portrayal of of this kind of thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting point, uh, like in a good way to transition into like the Goldblum performance, uh, right. because he actually is like like you said, very uh, sure of himself and confident and accepting of who he is. And it's not a big deal to him. And he's like, yeah, no, I do. But like, I go both ways. Like, it's not like, yeah. why, why are you freaking out? Uh, calm the fuck down, uh, which is interesting for the like main character. You <laughs> right. know, like you said, one of the main characters It's just such a shame uh, then for the other one to just like want him dead, kind of. <laughs> um, and then Christopher <laughs> Guest's character actually wants him dead. <laughs> the Christopher Guest character is really weird because yeah. he he feels like he's playing very much a stereotype gay character. He actually really reminded me of uh, mm-hmm. the, the character on Family Guy. Uh, the one that goes like, oh, no, or that kind of like that, uh, <laughs> you know, that <laughs> yeah, like that's that's the voice that he's doing basically uh, in this in this movie. Uh, and so, like, it just feels like, you know, there's stuff with Christopher Guest and Christopher Guest is a great, talented performer, has done a bunch of great movies. Uh, but just here, he just feels like it's like a one note character. Uh, you know, a one note stereotype portrayal of a gay character. And so and he's like the other relationship in Goldblum's life. And again, Goldblum feels like the most fleshed out of any of the characters in this movie. And the rest of them all feel like pretty one note 
just kind of insane people. Yeah. And I think that's a big, uh, big testament to just like Goldblum at his height in 1987 as an actor in 1986, you know, whatever between the fly and this and stuff, uh, where like, you know, a lot of this feels like Altman movies in general, it feels very improvised. And a lot of it seems like that, especially like the blind date stuff. Uh, and just the way that he's able to answer or respond or whatever. So Prudence is just like batshit shenanigans that she's pulling off. He really like helps yeah. ground some of this, which is a weird thing to say in this kind of movie. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. And, uh, you know, it is weird, too, because the movie, like I said, was based on a play uh, and Altman, you know, heavily rewrote the script and stuff. But it does feel like, you know, maybe if you just kept the original play, you know, I feel like the like I'm guessing the story is still the same and the source is probably like not that much better than the movie, but it might have like just flowed better. You know, like it's this movie is so dialogue heavy, but mm-hmm. Altman's like overlapping dialogue and very distinct sound work where there's a lot of like different sounds going on at once. I think in many cases, a pretty positive thing and like it works really worse for me, like California Split or Nashville uh, here. It just kind of detracts from the material because all the characters are talking over each other all the time. Uh, <laughs> and so you never yeah. get like a clear sense, like yeah, every once in a while there will be like a kind of funny line like somebody will have a decent one-liner but it gets drowned out by like the next like every other character talking over you too yeah yeah i mean the beginning of this movie like the opening credits of this is just like this you know like ken burns style uh like shot of a still image like slowly zooming out with just like yeah tons of of overlapping dialogue over it uh you know kind of about and it's like see i think it's like therapists talking and stuff like that and to their patients and things and it's kind of yep. just like a cacophony of indecipherable stuff which was pretty fun my friend here has a, a 5.1 surround sound setup uh hmm. so watching this uh it was kind of like all over the room which was pretty cool <laughs> which is a neat experience <laughs> for an all nice. movie but yeah so like it has it there and then the opening credits happen and then you know it's uh goldblum and and prudence i forget everybody's name Bob, what the hell is this game? Uh, Bob is uh, Bruce Bob's is Christopher character. Guest. Yeah, Bob is Christopher Guest. Goldblum's character is Bruce. Bruce. Okay. Uh, we have Bruce and Prudence in the restaurant, and I thought it was going to be like, oh, is this going to be like a like a My Dinner with Andre kind of thing? Like the whole movie is going to be this one date, right? Because it kind of it goes on for a little bit before like other things start happening, uh, yeah. which might have been pretty cool. And maybe that's what the play was. I don't know. But then it just kind of spirals out into like these weird abusive therapy relationships with the people and their therapists and Prudence is having an affair with hers and he doesn't think there's anything wrong with that but she's like well no clearly there's a power like a power misalignment here and uh, this yeah. is abusive and he's like well come on baby I'm Italian uh, you know and then uh, turns out he's I, not at the end I really I really hope that you find a different way to say come on baby every episode of this podcast from now on it's because you have the same thing with the fly Yep, it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And it just spirals out of no in, into nowhere, really, which is pretty unfortunate. I think maybe if it had been that, like, my dinner with Andre thing, maybe it could have been interesting. But it just right. keeps cutting away to go do other stuff that's not funny. Uh, and then it's bad, you know? Yeah, I mean, I could see a version of this movie that would work pretty well where it's just Goldblum and Prudence on their blind date. Uh, and, you know, even even having her start off as somebody who hates gay people and, like, Goldblum you know, being the bisexual man and like just having them talk for like an hour and a half and like him, like slowly bringing her around to like his way of life and way of thinking or whatever. Like it could be interesting. I'm not saying it would be a great movie, but it could be interesting. Uh, And then this movie is just, yeah, it's not, it's not that it doesn't even try to be that. So, but it is like every, every scene, cause this movie's an hour and a half long and every scene takes like 15 minutes to get through. Like there's not that much going on. And like every time, you're with a character you're just hanging out with them in the restaurant usually 
uh, for like 15 yeah. straight minutes before either being in the therapist's office or being back in Goldblum's apartment. And that's pretty much it. But yeah, I mean, Goldblum worked with Robert Altman four times throughout his career. This is the third time. And the thing is, I think Goldblum is somebody who I think would be really good at reciting Robert Altman dialogue. Right. And I think he does a pretty good job with that in this movie. Yeah. But it's sort of a shame that this is the only time that he was a lead in the Altman movie. <laughs> you know, like he had <laughs> three lines in California split. Uh, he was silent in mm-hmm. Nashville. <laughs> and uh, we have I have not watched The Player yet, which is supposed to be one of Altman's best. Uh, I'm excited to watch that. But I'm pretty sure he only has a cameo in that movie uh, with because that's a movie that takes mm. place like in Hollywood. And so a lot of like people just like make cameos kind of throughout uh, from what I understand. Uh, so Goldblum, I know is in it. I don't even know if he has a line in it. You know, it's it's one of those yeah. things. Uh, so we will watch it eventually and find out for ourselves. But yeah, this is the only time he was a lead for Robert Altman. And it's like, man, I wish the movie that Goldblum was the lead of for an Altman uh, was better, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It feels kind of unfair, especially as a movie to follow up the fly with. It's like, man, you're so close. You flew right. too close to the sun. That's true. Literally flew. He he buzzed up to the sun and then <laughs> and then and then he fell and he died and he, and he started in beyond therapy. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And that is weird because the fly is one of, if not the best movie we've talked about on this podcast so far. Yeah. Uh, and, and then we followed it up with probably the worst movie we've talked about on this podcast so far. Uh, like I think this is worse than like, mm-hmm. you know, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, for example, which is a movie that doesn't exist. Uh, the. <laughs> the uh, you know, because that, that's at least a movie that like is basically like forgettable and it's kind of boring, but there's like some kind of funny stuff through it and it's mostly pretty harmless. And then this one is just like, uh, God, <laughs> like it just yeah. is so backwards, you know? Yeah, like at least uh, Legend of Sleepy Hollow is silly and had that NFL player as a cameo guy. Uh, right. This is like an is an outright like homophobic offensive movie. Uh, so big old negative there. Yeah, not uh, not great. So how how do you think this role fits in the roles that we've seen Jeff Goldblum play so far, Mike? Uh, I mean, you know, California Split and Nashville, obviously, uh, sure. make a lot of sense. I wrote down Between the Laughter and Rehearsal for Murder more in the sense that those are kind of just like a series of scenes, especially Rehearsal for Murder, where I mean, that's like literally a stage play kind of. Uh, yeah. Uh, where it's just kind of like little vignettes between all the characters. Um, and I felt maybe between the lines was between the lines, between the laughter. Did I say between the lines first time? You, you said between the, the you said between the laughter the first time, but I wasn't sure if you were talking about between the lines. Uh, because the then Ernie I realized wait, the Ernie, story. the Ernie Kovacs movie was also had the subtitle between the laughter. Yes. Between the laughter. Yeah. <laughs> the Ernie Kovacs movie. At, at different points in his career, Goldblum has been both between the lines and between the laughter. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because I felt like the Ernie Kovacs story uh, had uh, a a bit was a similar thing where it's kind of like, you know, focused in on that that small moment in Kovacs's life about the search for his daughters and was kind of just a series of, well, here's the dinner party and here's the him live on air and here, like, you know, just kind of like a series of of little right. moments throughout his life, uh, which is kind of what this feels like, even though this beyond therapy is like oh, it takes course of like a, a couple of days, I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's working with Altman again for the third time. Fourth, if you count uh, Remember My Name, which Altman produced. Uh, it's also a movie that's uh, largely centered on just groups of characters talking over a couple of locations. So I think that's kind of just like the big chill, actually. Well, the big chill is mostly one location, but oh, yeah. uh, there you go. Uh, so I, think, I thought that was kind of a connection. Also, and I was trying to think about any uh, previous Goldblum films that we've talked about that had gay characters in them in any way. Uh, and the only one I could think of was Thank God It's Friday, actually, uh, which had a right. fairly progressive attitude, but any gay characters were basically like extras in the movie, you know? Yeah. Uh, like they're yeah. there as like 
part of like they would just kind of be like the background in the scene or that kind of thing. But they were there. You know, it was it was one of those things. But otherwise, this is like the first one that's like had it front and center, which was like a rarity in the 80s and, you know, pr- previously anyway. So, you know, definitely, uh, I guess, sort of points for progressiveness. But then also everything in the movie is like, well, OK, maybe not. Uh, maybe not. <laughs> uh, but all right. So what are the moments or scenes in the movie that uh, stood out to you, Mike? Um, well, there's this, a this will be the shortest I... episode. This will be the shortest segment of the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> there's a recurring bit that I uh, wanted to highlight that was kind of like the only thing that sort of made me chuckle, which was like the okay. uh, just constant car accidents that were happening outside every window. Um, yeah. Like, because like, it's funny that it's just like the Altman like thing where it's just like, yeah, we have all these audio tracks, but also like a fun dig at New York that there's always like car car horns blaring and car accidents happening and nobody ever acknowledges i think they acknowledge the first one because it's outside the restaurant but after that like you never you never see it again you just hear about it you just hear like the tires screeching and then metal crunching so that was the only funny thing in this entire movie actually there was one scene at the end uh with christopher guest the starter pistol when he like bursts into the uh, restaurant like godfather style uh, execution and is like <laughs> slow-mo like opera music playing and it's just a starter pistol so nobody's actually getting shot but everyone's like right. flailing around the restaurant like they're all being murdered um, <laughs> that was pretty funny but even that went on for like four minutes and it's like if this was 30 seconds it'd be hilarious but sure. it kind of outlived its its bit yeah it is also it's so weird too I mean okay I, I do want to say the, the starter pistol thing um, there's the one point before that where you find out he has a starter pistol Right. Um, and he's like in the therapist's office with uh, with Goldblum's therapist. And, you know, she's like yelling at him. And like, I think she like just discovers that he's gay while they're talking. And she like yells out a bunch of slurs and whatever. Yep. It's like not not great. And then he pulls out a gun and shoots her. And then it cuts away. And you think, holy crap, what did this movie just turn into for like a second? Yeah. But when I watched it on Pluto TV, when he shot her, it didn't just cut away. It cut to commercial. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's amazing. He, he shot her and then it cut to commercial. And so I'm left there for like 90 seconds going like, what the fuck just <laughs> happened? You got the soap opera edit. <laughs> yes. I was so like, <laughs> at that point I was so like bored into complacency. I was just like, God, let this movie end uh, because nothing was happening. And then he pulled out a gun and shot someone. And I was like, what, where did this come from? And then he comes back to commercial and then, you know, it's a different scene. And then it cuts back to Bob and the therapist. And she like gets up and it's like, yeah, it's a starter pistol. Ha ha. And it's like, oh, man, I thought this movie turned really interesting for a second. And then it <laughs> yeah. didn't. <laughs> it yeah, he, right he even says he even says, uh, um, oh, man, I forget. But he has like a, a like line condemning her where he says like you you're the kind of person that makes me do this or something along those lines where he's kind of like turning it into a revenge thing where it's like holy shit like we're finally gonna fight back against the homophobia that's happening in this movie uh and then lol jk it's a starter pistol it's like oh man right but yeah so so the first like 15 20 minutes of the movie are just you know them in the french restaurant goldblum and prudence they're on the blind date uh prudence shouts that she hates gay people and like she and goldblum just keep like he goldblum just keeps making her angry uh yeah. and like every time she's like i'm gonna leave and then he's like okay and then she doesn't leave and then, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it just keeps going uh longer and longer uh also at one point the waiter in the restaurant calls his therapist who is also goldblum's therapist to tell her about goldblum crying in the restaurant right. uh and it's a thing that's like I wonder why this is important. And then it's and then it kind of gets followed up on again a few like a little while later. And then it's like, I wonder why this is important. And then it finally at the end, 
it's revealed that the waiter was the therapist's son who she said was looking for a new roommate that Bob can move in with. And it's just like that was such an unsatisfying payoff to who that who that waiter was and why we were following him that entire time, you know? Uh, yeah, that, that kind of just sums up like this entire movie. Just like what an unsatisfying payoff. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. So uh, there's one point where uh, Prudence puts her foot on the table and Goldblum sucks on her toe. Uh, and then, yeah, and then, and then she leaves. And that's that's pretty much the end of that. And then Bob's mother, uh, Zizi, sees Goldblum at the restaurant with uh, another woman. So she tells Bob about it. She shows up at the restaurant, but Goldblum's already gone. He's at therapy. So it kind of cuts back and forth between different therapy sessions for a while. And then he puts another ad in the paper. Prudence answers it again, both thinking they're meeting like different people because they use different names uh, and they meet up at the same restaurant and, you know, that kind of thing. There's like a couple of jokes like Prudence knows about Bob now. And she it's like one joke that's like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> like She says like, uh, you know, Bob says uh, or he Bruce says something like uh, Bob's kind of angry about this. And Prudence like perhaps he's getting his period. Or that, kind of, yeah. or that kind of thing. It's like, eh, geez. Uh, but then, Not great. So the, but uh, they do connect a little bit this time around. Goldblum talks about how he had a wife. Uh, she starts talking about like an old Cary Grant movie uh, and that kind of thing. There's a lot of like movie, like old movie references where she just like brings up random like older movies uh, in conversations. Uh, and then at the end of that scene, they finally hook up and then they like she decides that she's in love with Goldblum, even though she doesn't understand his bisexuality and doesn't believe it exists. So Prudence goes to dinner for at Goldblum's house and uh, Bob is mad about it. Uh, they they right. do have like a really a really crazy house too. their their bedroom is wild. <laughs> yeah, I uh, did want to mention that uh, because it's like you enter the house and it's like the bedroom. You, like, you go down the stairs and the bedroom's like part of like the open floor plan. And it's like sort of a Japanese screen door type deal kind of <laughs> kind of thing mm-hmm. where you kind of like open it. And that's where the bedroom is. It's kind of cool, actually. It's, it's, it's it was pretty neat. Yeah, it makes sense that this was actually filmed in Paris, though, because <laughs> I was like, yes. this is some some peak <laughs> late 80s yuppie loft situation going on. Uh, but oh, it's Paris. OK, that tracks. Yeah, I, this was so weird because obviously the movie takes place at a French restaurant most of it. So they have a lot of French actors uh, in it, uh, but it's supposed to take place in New York City. And then the very last shot of the movie, uh, it's like <laughs> going to bring it up. It's going over like it's, you know, kind of an overhead shot. And you see Goldblum and Prudence walking out and into the street. And it's like, you know, panning up over the street. And you see the Eiffel Tower in the background. <laughs> Uh, they were which, they're so in love they've been teleported to Paris I guess <laughs> is the implication it's so strange and it's one of those things where it's like was this like I guess some kind of in joke like haha we knew this really wasn't New York City and was like a poor excuse for it so yeah we were in Paris the whole time gotcha uh, or that kind of <laughs> thing idiots. Just, it's it's so so strange uh, and it's such a weird choice uh, to just like pull yeah. pull you out of the movie like that and be like, we were in Paris the whole time. Uh, but yeah, so she's at dinner at the house. Bob's mad about it. They mentioned uh, Sunday, Bloody Sunday, which is sort of an in joke because Glenda Jackson, who plays one of the therapists, uh, she was in that movie. It's like, ah, yeah, there you go. Right. And they, they say like, oh, this guy and this actress or whatever. And it's like, ah, yeah, there it is. Uh, and so uh, she talks to Bob's mother over the phone. They bring Bob to therapy. She also does. She also laughs. Loudly proclaims prudence. She also says, "Like I don't like transvestites either." And it's like, man, you're de- you're yeah. digging yourself into a deeper hole. <laughs> Just stop. Maybe stop talking. Basically, yeah. is how I felt by minute forty-five <laughs> of this ninety-minute movie. Like genuinely, one of the most insufferable protagonists I've had to watch in a movie in a long time. <laughs> yeah, you see uh, Bob in the uh, in therapy, and the therapist, you know, starts yelling at him because he was gay, and she throws out a bunch of slurs. Bob pulls out the gun and shoots the therapist, but it turns out it's not an actual gun. Uh, and then they all end up at the restaurant together. And there's the big scene where you mentioned that uh, Bob pulls out the gun and starts opening fire, basically, in the restaurant. 
Uh, and again, it's not hitting anybody because the starter's pistol, but everybody's freaked out. Uh, Stuart, uh, who is Prudence's therapist, he pees his pants. Uh, and that kind of thing. And then afterwards, nothing happens. They all just eat together. Like as if that didn't just happen as if the police aren't coming by to arrest Bob immediately after, (laughs) after, you know, even though it was like a fake gun, he still like opened fire and there were loud shots in a restaurant. Like there should be some kind of repercussions for that. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I think also this um, this feels like this movie really shows its age one in just like everything about it, uh, like yes. we've been talking about, but specifically like the big climactic, like comedic beat being like a public mass shooting. Um, <laughs> you know, like in 1987, yes. I guess that was like ripe for comedy. But in 2020, maybe not so much, uh, yeah. you know. <laughs> Which uh, I remember um, I went to uh, years ago, I went to the uh, the Alma Draft House for the Arnold Schwarzenegger Marathon uh, and they showed mm-hmm. Kindergarten Cop there. Uh, and I remember uh, at the end of the movie, uh, Justin, who was a programmer there at the time, he was like, yeah, that's probably not a movie uh, that would get made anymore today. Because the very climax of Kindergarten Cop is Arnold Schwarzenegger and the bad guys like running through the school shooting at each other. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and it's a whole and that was 1990. It was just a, that was a thing that would happen in movies back then. Yeah. Uh, it's just a very strange, uh, strange way. Like just to see like stuff in those older films that like, yeah, it's one of those things where you can't even imagine that kind of thing being filmed in a movie today. It's why I've heard that uh, about They Live also. I haven't seen that in a long time. Uh, but like at the end when he's at the bank, with the, you know, I'm here to chew bubble gum and kick ass and I'm all out of bubble gum. Uh, but he just opens fire in a bank. Uh, and right. like I've heard people talk about it and like watching it in the context of 2020 and 2019, I think is the podcast when that was uh, that I heard people talking about it. And he was like, I like had to turn it off or fast forward. I forget what he said, but he was like, <laughs> it was extremely uncomfortable now to watch yeah. a guy just open fire into a public place like that. Um, right. Yeah. So beyond therapy, not great, you know, no, not a very good movie. So, yeah, they all kind of <laughs> eat, eat together. Charlotte's son's looking for an apartment. Turns out it's the waiter, Andrew. Bob's like, yeah, OK. Uh, and then turns out Stewart's not really Italian. Sure. Like his his accent was sure. bad the whole movie. And it, it seemed very over the top, but like it seemed like he was clearly putting on an accent. So it's kind of funny that it was like fake within the realm of the movie. But like at this point, who fucking cares? You know, <laughs> but by the end, it's like, just just end this thing already. Uh, and then you do you do have a scene where Goldblum like sort of summarizes the movie for you. Uh, and then everyone's like gone from the table and he's just like talking to himself. And that's kind of funny. You know, like that's like a kind of mm-hmm. kind of funny, like him, model, which is almost like a preview of like the joke in Jurassic Park uh, where yeah. he's like, and now I'm here. I am uh, 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 talking to myself. And that's that's <laughs> chaos theory. Uh <laughs> Uh, very excited to watch Jurassic Park again. I'm actually going to go see Jurassic Park this week for uh, Centerfield Cinema over at uh, Oak Ridge Park, the uh, minor league baseball uh, stadium near my house in Missoula, Montana. Uh, and then I'll be watching Jurassic Park again in a few months for uh, the Goldblum podcast. So, yeah, excited yeah. about that. It's going to be a Jurassic Park heavy 2020. Uh, so he and Prudence just get together. They decide to get married and then they leave. You see the Eiffel Tower and that's it. Roll credits. That's that's the end of the movie. <laughs> Thank God, really, when you think about it. Oh, yeah. By the end of it, I was just like, God, this is this is one of the worst ones that we've had to do in a while. And it's crazy. To, like, <laughs> I mean, Robert Robert Altman's a, a director who, you know, made a lot of terrific movies, but he also made a lot of movies. And even in right. the 70s, there's stuff that like just wasn't really all that well received. And I think it is one of those things where just he, he's somebody who worked and worked no matter like what the quality of the project was. And, you know, because of his style, because of like his sort of improv heavy style, the quality could vary like wildly from project to project. And in just in the seventies, he happened to be on a pretty good hot streak. And then in the, and then in the eighties, he was not. (laughs) 
<laughs> Can't win them all, you know? Yeah, exactly. But there you go. So that is a beyond therapy, Mike. Any uh, final thoughts before we move on to letterbox reviews? Um, no, I mean, yeah, like we kind of covered everything. I think uh, I think it'll be interesting to see what the the rest of the trajectory of the 80s is uh, for Goldblum, because I don't really know anything off the top of my head. Like I know, uh, like you mentioned, you know, Jurassic Park coming up. So like once we get to the early 90s, I, I'm very familiar with the Goldblum canon. Sure. But uh, this kind of between post the fly pre Jurassic Park era uh, is like a kind of, you know, total blind spot for me. So I'm interested to see uh, how Goldblum manages to use his fly clout because like I'm like you can see it in a different world. You can see like this happening beyond therapy, like ruin, like cutting that the head off that train, you know, like sure. it's just not going anywhere after that because this is so bad and it bombed completely. Uh, but maybe they got lucky that like nobody saw it. <laughs> So, yeah. uh, I mean, I, I do think I, I do think this is a movie that just nobody saw. And so it didn't really affect Goldblum's career all that much. Uh, but the, the period in between the flying Jurassic Park is an interesting one because there are a couple of well-known movies in there. Uh, we've talked about vibes a couple of times where that's like a movie that's supposed to be bad, but it's stars Goldblum and Cindy Lauper and like kind of has a good cult following now. Uh, but there's mm. also Earth Girls Are Easy, uh, which is, you know, pretty well liked movie. Uh, but a lot of the other stuff, it's just like I think other like Goldblum starring vehicles just didn't hit the same way they did with The Fly. And so I think right. The Fly sort of became viewed as like an anomaly. And then by the early 90s, once you hit Jurassic Park, it's like, OK, Goldblum's officially the perfect ensemble guy you know he's the guy who pops yeah. in an ensemble and that's where he's going to be what he's going to be doing for pretty much the rest of his career post jurassic park uh and so the fly is like it's great it's an awesome lead performance from jeff goldblum and he had a couple of good lead performances around this era too but he just works better in the ensemble right <laughs> but we will be chart we will be charting that progress uh as it goes on but uh, let's get in some letterbox reviews for beyond therapy got a couple of them here he's a three and a half star review from the sport guy uh, which reads, just so you know, this is the movie where Quentin Tarantino stole Tim Roth's Garcon coffee line from Pulp Fiction, <laughs> even going as far as uh, stating in both films that it means boy and is rude to exclaim out loud. The more pointless stuff, you know, right? How about that? <laughs> which, uh, yeah, I, I did not know that. So there you go. That kind of kind of cool tidbit there. Uh, here's a one and a half star review from Bill Ryan, which reads. Robert Altman made two movies that pretend to climax with the sudden violent deaths of major characters only to backtrack moments later. Beyond Therapy not only shouldn't have backtracked, it should have doubled the body count. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's a yeah. uh, two and a half star review from Keith Enright, which reads, nah, not so good. Altman, still in theater mode, tries wacky and doesn't wear well at all. Each performer is interesting for different reasons. Jeff Goldblum playing bisexual is interesting. Julie Haggerty playing gay hater, not so much. Glenda Jackson is completely wasted. Christopher Guest ramps up the stereotypes. Tom Conti has a fantastic accent until he doesn't. And then it's all mixed together for force wackiness that goes nowhere. I love Altman, but his half decade filming theater comes to a close with little to show for it. So much of this works pretty well on stage, but a close camera completely takes away the effect. And finally, here's a two star review from Jay Ledbetter, which I think sums it up really well. Pretty funny, largely forgettable and has aged like a fine milk. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't even give it the benefit of the pretty funny, but it yes. definitely has aged like milk. <laughs> yes, I think that's the, the perfect way to uh, describe Beyond Therapy. And there it is. We have officially talked about the one of the worst movies that uh, we've had to discuss on this podcast. I think the worst one that Goldblum has starred in so far of all the Goldblum movies. Yeah, this is probably the one that I think is the worst. I, I, I think there's probably at least one or two Cage movies that are worse than this. <laughs> 
because Cage really started some rough ones. <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, like maybe Tempo de Uchidere or something like that, or like uh, yeah. Season of the Witch or whatever. Or 211. Remember 211, Mike? <laughs> Remember 211? I almost don't even remember 211. <laughs> That's a movie that we watched uh, last year. That was the, the last year of the Cage podcast. <laughs> That's completely gone from my memory other than the title of the movie. But uh, yeah, there you go. So that is Beyond Therapy. And that brings us to the end of this week's Jeff Goldblum podcast. Mike, where can we find you online this week? You can find me at MD Film Blog on Twitter and Letterboxd. And I wanted to uh, shout out the poetic critic on Letterboxd, who turns out oh, is yeah. a listener of the show. So that was yes. the, that like made my day when they tweeted at us. Uh, so hopefully we'll be seeing more of those reviews uh, when we get to their movies, the movies that they yeah. reviewed. That was really cool. Yeah. The poetic critic who, uh, you know, we read a few of their letterbox reviews on the podcast weeks back. Uh, and that was like, I think it was, um, threshold was one of them. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I think so. and, and there was like one other one. They were both like global movies that no one had ever seen before. Uh, yeah. and so there was like maybe two or three reviews in letterbox. So we were able to find them pretty easily. But, uh, yeah, if the poetic critic ever wants to send us some poems, like the haikus or whatever that they were writing for those movies for any upcoming global movies, I would love to read them on, on the podcast. That would be great. Because uh, yeah. those were a lot of fun. Uh, but all right. So my, uh, I, you already said where we can find you online, Mike. I, you can find me online <laughs> at uh, M Smith Film Blog on Twitter, Mike Smith Film on Letterboxd, and Radio Mike Sandwich on Instagram. Uh, thanks so much for listening to The Complete Works. I'm Mike Smith. That's my decree show. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. And if you want to contact us, hit us up at JeffGoldblumCompleteWorks at gmail.com. You can find the rest of our podcast on Rapture Press alongside the totally original geek news podcast which is about comic books and movie news and all that nerdy stuff and you can follow this podcast on twitter at goldbloom pod uh, our theme song was created by kyle cullen who you can reach for your own podcast themes at kyle's podcast themes at gmail.com and our logo was designed by jacob honeycuts or at jacob honey on twitter uh join us next week in the complete works where goldbloom returns to the world of tv movies mike's favorite uh Hell yeah. <laughs> to teach the world about dna with 1987's life story uh so this is kind of like a docudrama about like the discovery of dna i believe is uh is what it's about so uh, okay. it could be interesting we'll see what happens uh and keep listening to our bonus episodes of mike might go to the movies this week it's another edition of mike makes mike watch which should be a lot of fun uh thanks so much for listening guys and remember to go for the gold bloom trailer for beyond therapy if it exists i haven't looked yet Uh. (laughs) get it out early good job yes exactly i love it when it happens during the break you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) when it's not happening mid-sentence that's just that's a victory uh i'll count that uh, as a victory (laughs) yeah i'm drinking beer and i had indian food for dinner so we'll see which one of us uh ruins more (laughs) sex sections i will be so upset if you don't burp at least once during this (laughs) during this whole thing (laughs) all right